You are listening to Girl Speak, a podcast series all about art, history, and contemporary culture with a girl's eye view. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 100 of Girl Speak Why We Need Girl Stories. I'm Tiffany Rhodes, program developer with Girl Museum. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, or streaming us today. Girl Speak is produced by Girl Museum, the first and only museum in the world dedicated to celebrating girlhood. Girl Museum explores the art, history, and culture of girls around the world in the past and present. All of our programs are volunteer-run and supported by listeners like you. Visit us on the web at www.girlmuseum.org. Guess what? It's our 100th episode. Woohoo! As we hit this milestone, I feel a bit nostalgic. Four years ago, we set out on this journey with the hope of bringing girls' stories to this incredible platform. During that time, we have explored girls in museums around the world, talked about history and current events, highlighted the girls and women whose stories inspire us, and, perhaps most of all, learned something about ourselves along the way. We've learned that telling stories is something anyone can learn to do, because we all have stories to tell. We've learned that our scholarship is integral to helping increase awareness of girls in the world. And we've learned that even those of us who are just starting out on this journey, as students, volunteers, and merry wanderers, have something vital to share. As we approach the 10th anniversary of Girl Museum in 2019 and reflect on 100 episodes of Girl Speak, I'm reminded of Gloria Steinem's Living the Revolution address she gave at the Vassar commencement in May of 1970. Like many great speeches, it seems so relevant to the issues we, as girls, women, and in fact all of humanity, face today. As Gloria stated, The first problem for all of us, men and women, is not to learn, but to unlearn. We are filled with the popular wisdom of several centuries just past, and we are terrified to give it up. Patriotism means obedience, age means wisdom, woman means submission, black means inferior. These are preconceptions embedded so deeply in our thinking that we honestly may not know that they are there. Unfortunately, authorities who write textbooks are sometimes subject to the same popular wisdom as the rest of us. They gather their proof around it and end by becoming the theoreticians of the status quo. Using the most respectable of scholarly methods, for instance, English scientists proved definitively that the English were descended from the angels, while the Irish were descended from the apes. It was beautifully done, complete with comparative skull measurements, and it was a rationale for the English domination of the Irish for more than 100 years. It wasn't easy for the English to give up their mythic superiority. Indeed, there are quite a few Irish who doubt that they have done it yet, Clearing our minds and government policies of outdated myths is proving to be at least difficult, but it is also inevitable. Whether it's woman's secondary role in society or the paternalistic role of the United States in the world, the old assumptions just don't work anymore. Rollo May has a theory that I find comforting. There are three periods in history, he says. One in which myths are built up, one in which they obtain, and one in which they are torn down. Clearly, we are living in a time of myths being torn down. We look at the more stable period just past, 
and we think that such basic and terrifying change has never happened before. But, relatively, it has. Clinging to the comfortable beliefs of the past serves no purpose and only slows down the growth of new forms to suit a new reality. Those new forms are coming. From the Me Too movement to the youth-led reforms on gun violence, change is here. It is happening. And girls, who for so long have been marginalized and forgotten, are at the forefront. It has been our goal from the very beginning of Girl Museum to help bring girls to the forefront, to showcase their amazing stories of trial and triumph, to inspire them to conquer the seemingly impossible, and, most importantly, to be true to themselves. Frequently, history, culture, and even museums have focused on the dominant white male narrative. No more. In this, our 100th episode, I issue our own statement of living the revolution. We must include girls. We must embrace their diverse experiences and equitably represent them in every cultural and historical narrative. Their voices, however small, are important. They provide us with views of the world and its history that no other person can give us. As we saw in the exhibition Ancient Girls, the experiences of girls in society have always been diverse. Some were empowered, others marginalized or even victimized. In the Indus Valley, girls decorated their bodies in as many ways as modern girls do today, and based on the numerous ceramic figures of girls found by archaeologists and genetic studies of human remains, we are beginning to think that the Indus Valley civilization was matrilocal, where married couples resided near the wife's parents and formed large clan-like families centered on the female line. Yet during the same period of time, Greek girls were groomed only to be wives and mothers, learning domestic skills and being strictly controlled by their fathers and husbands. Girls had no choice in who they married and in some cases could not even leave the house without a chaperone. These experiences are not just part of some mythical past. They continue to happen today, all over the world. In 52 Objects, our last entry showcased an ankle bracelet, very similar to bangles worn by girls around the world for fun. Yet this bracelet, a simple gold band, harbors a tale of modern struggle. It was worn by a young girl slave in Niger, who was eventually interviewed by Anti-Slavery International. She was likely sold into slavery by the time she was just nine years old, or made a child bride, being forced into a life of sexual and domestic slavery. For as little as 300 US dollars, less than the price of an iPhone, her life was no longer her own. She was destined to sleep on a straw mattress, work hard every day, never leave her home, and likely forced into sexual relations with her owners. Girls' stories are everywhere. They are positive and negative, serving as mirrors into our own beliefs and ways of defining girls and girlhood. By telling their stories, all of their stories, we finally bring to light the issue most pressing in the world, equality. Key to bringing about equality is looking not at the sum of a life, but at the start of it. What happens in our youth that forms who we are and what our societies become? Why do we ignore the most formative period of life, 
only to herald the achievements of those who have overcome the odds. Why are there odds in the first place? The stories of girls hold the answers. Personally, I've never been to a school that offered a single course on the experiences of girls specifically. It was always lumped into women's studies, or, more often, simply left out. I've also never been to a museum, especially a major museum, where girls' stories, told in their voices, are present. Whether in textbooks or museum exhibits, girls have always been the footnote, marginalized in our collective past as they are in our daily life. At most, they are simply lumped into women's studies. Now, some argue it should be that way, saying girls are always included when we talk about women. But are they? How many women's stories go into depth about girlhood? And how many women's history museums actually display and discuss this formative period of life? When you hear about a girl while touring a historical site, do you hear about the toys she played with, the books she read, the education she received? Or do you hear only about her courtships, marriage, and later life instead? Even when you hear the stories of women like those highlighted in the film Hidden Figures, or infamous names like Jane Austen, Eleanor of Aquitaine, Margaret Thatcher, or Hillary Clinton, do you hear about what they were like as children, or only what they've accomplished, accomplished as adults? How much did their childhood experiences, their girlhood, contribute to the women they became? Women's studies and history tends to focus on feminism as a movement or ideology, and to be honest, this always turned me off. While I am a feminist, I don't want to sit through classes on feminist theory and pedagogy. I don't want to hear when women were finally given or earned the right to vote. I want to hear the stories of girls and women, stories that place them back into the world history narrative and help us combat the perception that history and society is all about the men and the women who overcome or are unique to dominant male narratives. Now, women's museums and courses do try to do this, but by ignoring the girlhood experience, we're ignoring a vast part of history, because, for most of history, women married and died well before the age of 30. Personally, I needed Girl Museum and this podcast decades ago. I needed to hear the stories of girls my own age, both in history and the modern world. I needed it because all of my perceptions of what I should be, especially when I hit the confusing world of adolescence, were based on the media, on what I saw in movies and television, on perceptions of what I would become as a woman rather than what I was as a girl. What I saw was sex, women as desirable, as powerful because they were desirable and attractive. I saw some intelligent women whose brains were as great as their beauty, what little women's history I did learn, in class or from books I read on my own, talked a lot about women in relation to the male-dominated world, their roles as wives, mothers, household managers, servants. I very rarely heard the stories of women who, from a very young age, displayed intelligence, pursued education and professions, and set forth to make their own paths. How different would my life be if I had known that the first person to discover an ichthyosaur was 12-year-old Mary Anning? That at 12 years old, I could discover a dinosaur? 
or that in science class, I could take what I was learning and make things that help people. Like Dapika Kurup, whose low-cost purifier uses sunlight to make clean water. Or Natalie Hampton and Trisha Prabhu, who each developed mobile apps to help combat bullying. When my friends pressured me into having boyfriends, what if I could have pointed to Katulan, a beautiful Mongol girl who wouldn't agree to marry until she found a man who could beat her in riding, archery, and wrestling? I would have said, I don't need a boyfriend, and the only one I want would love me as the strong, skilled woman I am, and know that he could never tell me to stop being that. Instead of fantasizing about my wedding, what if I had dreamt of being like Amina Sakura, a fierce warrior princess who refused to marry, helped turn her country into a major trading center in Africa, and built many schools to help educate her people? That's not to say there's anything wrong with dreaming about a wedding, but the world of the 1990s, the one I knew, was one of mixed emotions about women and their potential. The legacy of second-wave feminism meant I could do nearly anything I wanted, but societal norms dictated that I still needed to be beautiful, sexy, and feminine. To reject societal notions and focus on my brain and talents was to be an outcast. That was fine with me for a while, but as I entered my teenage years, I did feel the pressure, and suddenly my brain only mattered as much as my body, my beauty, my social life, not more than. I realize only now that had I kept my sense of self-worth and known about the empowering girls who came before me, I might have ended up very different. I might have pursued more of my dreams rather than sacrificing them for boyfriends who turned abusive or ideas about what a woman should be in society. I might have not cared that I spent lunchtime reading books and writing papers because it was what I wanted more than concerts or sitting on a cute boy's lap in front of everyone. How different would our world be if we showed girls what they could be when they're young instead of just when they grow up? I think it'd be a lot different. And I found evidence that others might agree. In an online discussion board from 2001 between Girl Studies scholars, there were some really poignant points. As Donna M. Bickford, then a professor at the University of Rhode Island, stated, I was so interested to see Alana's post on the Girl Studies Women's Studies debate. I have taught several sections of our Introduction to Women's Studies course for several years now. It continues to challenge me that my students, mostly but not exclusively traditional college-age women, will assert two contradictory things. One, progress has been made. Everything has changed. All women can do whatever they want unless they are incompetent. There is no discrimination in politics, employment, and or relationships. And, number two, Information about women's and girls' experiences, eating disorders, detrimental effects of media imagery, continuing racism, homophobia in society and in schools, incest and violence against young women, the existence of the wage gap, disproportionate division of labor in the household, ineffective enforcement of Title IX, should be taught in elementary and high school locations because if they, my students, had had this information earlier, they would have done things differently and or been more prepared when they face these discriminatory and potentially harmful situations. My students often have to be pushed to see what they seem to be saying when they assert these two arguments simultaneously. That's why we need girl studies and girl stories, with a curriculum that goes beyond theory and pedagogy and gets into the true heart of the matter, 
finding and telling the stories that will change how we perceive and treat girls so that we can enlighten and empower them to be all they ever dreamed of and to fight back against the societies that try to stop them. As Gloria stated in her 1970 address, Women have a special opportunity to live the revolution. By refusing to play their traditional role, they upset and displace the social structure around them. We may be subject to ridicule and suppression, just as men were when they refused to play their traditional role by going to war. But those refusals together are a hope for peace. Anthropologist Jeffrey Korer discovered that the few peaceful human tribes had a common characteristic. Sex roles were not polarized. Boys weren't taught that manhood depended on aggression or short hair or military skills. And girls weren't taught that womanhood depended on submission or working at home instead of the fields. For those who still fear that women liberation involves some loss of manhood, let me quote from the Black Panther Code. Certainly, if the fear with which they are being met is any standard, the Panthers are currently the most potent male symbol of all. In Seize the Time, Bobby Seals writes, Where there's a panther house, we try to live socialism. When there's cooking to be done, both brothers and sisters cook. Both wash the dishes. The sisters don't just serve and wait on the brothers. A lot of black nationalist organizations have the idea of regulating women to the role of serving their men, and they relate this to black manhood. But a real manhood is based on humanism and is not based on any form of oppression. The challenge to all of us and to you, young men and women, is to live a revolution, not to die for one. There has been too much killing, and the weapons are now far too terrible. This revolution has to change consciousness, to upset the injustice of our current hierarchy by refusing to honor it, and to live a life that enforces a new social justice. Because the truth is none of us can be liberated if other groups are not. One more thing especially to the sisters, because I wish someone had said it to me. It would have saved me so much time. You don't have to play one role in this revolutionary age above all others. If you're willing to pay the price for it, you can do anything you want to do, and the price is worth it. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Looking for more great stories like this one? Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to discover more stories about girls in history and culture. Personally, I recommend checking out My Life on the Road by Gloria Steinem, which you can download for free on Audible. To download, visit audibletrial.com girlspeak. Again, that's audibletrial.com girlspeak for your free audiobook. Also, be sure to tune in to our next podcast on September 11th where junior girl Elizabeth Boyle explores the stories of girls at the 9-11 Memorial Museum. Finally, please help to support future production of Girlspeak by visiting us at www.girlmuseum.org and clicking donate. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. If you like hearing a fresh, girl-positive perspective on the internet, please support us with a tax-deductible donation easily made on our website. Our music is courtesy of up-and-coming artist Han Av. You
can find her SoundCloud link on our website. 